So today, we're back in Matthew. We're diving back in to the Gospel of Matthew. Now, this section of Matthew, a couple things about it. So first off, I don't know if you recall, way, 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 way long ago, you know, a couple times throughout the series, we've talked about Matthew has a pretty standard setup or flow. You'll have a section of narrative followed by a section of either dialogue or monologue. So it kind of oscillates back and forth in these two big sections. The last section we had was a pretty big narrative section. And so now we're going to jump into a monologue section. So it's going to be a lot of Jesus talking in this section. And this section in particular is really all about parables. This is where Jesus tells a ton of parables right in a row. And the first couple we're going to talk about for the next few weeks are all parables that have to do with plants, with growing, harvesting, reaping, sowing, all of that. So these next parables kind of walk through the life cycle of sowing, gardening, planting, harvesting, all of that, and use that as different metaphors, and as we'll see. Now, another note about this section of Matthew, so this is kind of starting in chapter 13, from a structural standpoint, it's a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. So you'll see today, the parable, it'll give the parable, and then it will give the interpretation of the parable, and in the middle is something completely different. This section does, to use the fancy term, uses a lot of excurses, which are kind of rabbit trails. So in this section, we'll have the parable, an explanation on why parables, and then the interpretation of the parable. And so how we're going to deal with that, you know, just thinking about how the best way to preach through this is, is we're going to pull out this little excursus section, because it is kind of its own little thing. We're going to pull it out and deal with that next week. So actually, this week. So later, I'm going to put up a blog post talking about this middle section, because I don't want to skip over it, but it, it, I know why it did it, but just trying to read through it, it's an absolute nightmare to try to figure out what's going on. And that happens a couple times, where like in the middle of a story, they'll just plunk in kind of a quick aside that disjoints the story, makes sense in an overall flow of the, of the book as a whole, but to try to talk about little small pieces becomes a pain in the butt. And so we're going to pull some of them out and deal with them at later dates and such. So I'll call it when it comes up here, but just know I'm not skipping something on purpose because I'm trying to hide something. We're going to talk about it later. So as we open up chapter 13, where are we? What's been going on? It's been, what, since October since we were in Matthew? So what was going on? So in this kind of the narrative section that preceded this, on it's uncertain because Matthew's not great with transitions, like was this all one day? Was this a flow? But we'll call it one narrative structure. Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field on the Sabbath. They picked some grain, ate it, and then that spawned a whole discussion with the Pharisees about isn't that technically illegal? And you know, it spawned a, a big discussion there. From there, on that same day, Jesus walked to the synagogue. And this discussion continues. The Pharisees follow them, and it you know, opens up more and more discussions, more and more dialogues there. While there, Jesus overhears the Pharisees planning to kill him, so he leaves. He's like, nope, not going to do this right now. So he leaves and goes to some undisclosed location. Doesn't say where, where he goes. So he goes there, and there he does miracles, the most you know, prominent of which is he cast out the demons from a demon-possessed man. Pharisees follow, have more discussions. With the demon-possessed man, they talk about, well, that, the only reason Jesus can do this is because he's the prince of demons. And we have that whole discussion of Beelzebub going on here. 
And then the, the section right before we're, we're about to read, Jesus is still at this undisclosed location, and his mother and brothers arrive. And they have the discussion of, you know, who is my mother, who is my brother, who, who is my sister, everyone who does the work of the father is my brother, sister, mother, all of that. So it's, you know, he was talking about the idea of earthly family versus heavenly family. So that's the last thing we read, and we jump in with this one that same day. So this is happening immediately after that. So this has been one giant day for Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Scroll up here. There we go. All right, so I will start reading here at verse 1. This is Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. The, gr- the great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since, but since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up around them and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Who, whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, so this is a pretty common parable. This is a parable we hear a lot. So what are the basic premises we have going on here? And this would have been a parable that would have made a lot of sense because this is a common analogy. The idea of fertile ground, unfertile ground, good soil, bad soil, as a metaphor for hearing God, for understanding God, for listening to God, is something that the Old Testament prophets did a lot of. If you read through the prophetic books, that is an analogy that's used a lot. You know, if a, a city doesn't listen to God, they'll oftentimes be said like, well, they were rock, rocky hard ground, infertile ground, that kind of thing. So this is something that people would have picked up on right away and you know, got this analogy. At the heart of this analogy is the four different places that seeds fall. First, we have the path. Seeds can't find any dirt, can't go down. Seeds are just up, exposed, vulnerable. Birds come in, take them off. They have real no chance to grow. Funny, weird thing. Birds are oftentimes in the ancient Near East as a whole associated with evil, associated with, in you know, Old Testament context, the Satan, Satan, the devil, the evil one. I think a lot of it maybe is because the kind of growing analogy is so tied in with spiritual growth that birds come and take the seeds or bam it. I just thought that was funny, but oftentimes birds are associated with evil at this time. That's the first group of seeds. Balls in the ground, balls in the path, no soil, no dirt. They had no chance. Second group falls on kind of hard, rocky dirt. You know, very hard, compact. These ones, they have some dirt. They, they, they have some area to grow, but not a lot. So they will spring up, but they have no real root system. So when the sun comes out, they don't have a pool to pull from. They don't have a lot of underlying structure. So they wither up and die right away. They get blown away. They had real no chance, but they, they popped up for a little bit, but didn't have any kind of support, so we're gone. Next ones, fall into ground that also has thorns. So these ones probably do have decent roots. The ground itself might be pretty good. They grow this strong system. They 
they're, they're healthy plants by themselves. They are just choked out by everything around it, whether it's blocking out the sun, whether it's tangible, like giving them no space to grow. Like they can't grow because of what's going on around them. The last one, seeds that fall into good soil. No weeds around it, nothing. They can grow a good root system. They have room to grow. They have sun. They have space. They grow and they produce fruits. They produce, in this example, grains. So these are the four different places. Obviously, because this is a parable, these represent other things. Luckily, we don't have to try to figure that out for ourselves, because this is one where Jesus actually just tells us what they are. So we'll jump, as you notice, I'm jumping to verse 18. There's a middle section here. I will put a blog about talking about later in the week. This is just a section where Jesus kind of wanes on about what, what are parables? Why do I do parables? That kind of thing. So that's going to be coming later in the week. So we're going to jump to the interpretation of this parable. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. This is what, the, this is, what is sown along the path. As for what is sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet it has no root in them, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, it immediately falls away. As, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but cares for the world and the deceitfulness of riches. It chokes the word, and it proves, and, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit, and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Jesus tells us exactly what's going on here. So we'll kind of walk through these one by one here. So starting up top here, the path. This is someone who hears the word, hears the good news, hears about Jesus, but for whatever reason, it doesn't have a chance. It never gets a chance to even start. It's just pulled away right away. And this could be a number of things. It could be a person who's just not in a space to hear about it right now. Their heart, their head, whatever, is just closed off in this moment. It could be past encounters or interactions have jaded them in this particular moment. It could be the person coming to them just had no chance in their heart. You know, there could be a thousand reasons why. For whatever reason, this particular seed at this particular moment is never going to grow. And I'll see later that it's not that a different seed at a different time doesn't have a chance of growing. But for whatever the litany of reasons, this particular seed at this particular moment is never going to grow. That's the first one. Next, we go down to the rocky ground. This is the one that spread roots, you know, kind of shallow, narrow, grew up fast, and then goes away. So this is someone who hears the word, hears the good news, hears about Jesus, and accepts it. And it's maybe even on fire really quickly, but there's no foundation. There's no backing. There's no growth that goes on. This faith starts, but it's not maintained. There's a lot, of, a lot of reasons why this could potentially happen. Potentially a lack of discipleship. That could be a big one. You know, you have someone 
that. You tell about Jesus, you say, oh yes, go to church, here's your Bible, sit in that back pew, right, good, I'm done. There's no backing, there's no follow-up, there's no relationship built. It could be someone who maybe has a misunderstanding of what being a Christian is. I think sometimes a lot of people have this idea that life's real bad, but if I become a Christian, then life's perfect, like everything's good, right? Like that's, that's what Jesus promises, right? No, no, not, not exactly. But a lot of people, that's what they hear. And then so when they become a Christian, they start following Jesus, and then bad stuff still happens in their lives. They're like, well, the, this is not what you promised me. I'm out. There could be a number of reasons. But this is the person who hears, seemingly sprouts up really fast, is on fire right away, but has no grounding, has no foundation, has no root system. And then when something comes along, they get brushed away. Next, someone who is sowing among the thorns. This is someone who can't really reconcile the idea of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. And now before I go down this path, I want to remind us, like, this is not saying we're called to be, you know, hermits who never go out in the world, never go to movies, never read books, anything like that. That's, that's not what this is talking about. But we are called to be different. We should, it should be easy for people to see that we are different by the way we act, by our interactions, by who we talk to, all of that. So this is someone who does like the word. Here's the word. It goes into them but they can't quite let go of the world. They're in this liminal space. They're they're torn. And then over time, they get more and more pulled this way. They can't hold this tension. So an example I thought of of this is, when I was in school, I had a professor who, um, if you did not put your name on your paper, you know, if you you turned it in, didn't have your name on it, and they had to go hunting and find out who it was, it was 10% off. Doesn't matter. If you got 100%, if it was an exam, you got 100% on it, nope, you got 90%. Just for not putting your name on it. This teacher also would give out little prizes for whoever would score highest on an exam. You know, this, this was, you know, like, I think it was high school, like it was ninth grade. So, like, they weren't anything big, but it was like, you know, candy or something, or you gotta go to lunch 15 minutes early. You know, was, those are big things when you're in high school. So, what would happen if you were someone who, you and maybe one other person in the class were the two that were always kind of competing for, the, for these prizes? It's always, you know, kind of going back and forth between the two of you. You take an exam, you think you did really well on it. But you know, the other person probably did really well on it. So you're like, oh, am I gonna get this prize? I really wanna go to lunch early. I really want to. You're walking up to turn your papers in, the person's in front of you, you notice their name isn't on it you know, oh, that's 10% off. I'm going to win no matter what now. Do you tell them? Do you call out, oh, hey, hey, you've got to put your name on your paper and potentially risk losing? Or do you not tell them? Guarantee you're going to win. That's that tension, right? Like, that's a small, dumb example. We often think of the kingdom of heaven and, you know, the kingdom of the world as, like, big changes big differences, but these small little ones too. 
So enough, well, I'm not going to tell them. I, w- I want that prize. I want, I, I want to look better. Enough of those, and you get pulled away, and you're this seed, getting choked out by the weeds. The last grouping, the seeds that fall on good soil. These are people that hear the word, hear about Jesus, hear the good news. It goes into them. They get on fire. They get that basing. They get that support. They get that discipleship. They get that follow-up. And in turn, they end up creating new disciples. It's kind of a catchphrase that is used a lot is disciples making disciples is how the church grows. It's someone who bears fruit. That fruit becomes seeds, planting other disciples. And I love how the emphasis of this isn't on they grow up into a, into a big, you know, tree or whatever. It's, that's fine, but it's the fruit. It's the thing that bears seeds that goes forward. It's the disciple making disciples. It's the continuous nature of the good soil, the good plant, is what this, this section is about. Okay, that, that seems pretty straightforward, pretty straightforward, right? Reasonable. So normally when you hear a parable, right, the idea is you are to put yourself as somewhere in the parable. Who or what do we most often, where do we put ourselves in this story most often? Any ideas? Any ideas? Anyone? 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 Well, we most often, no, did you say something? Yeah, yeah, we most often think of ourselves as one of the soils, right? We could potentially use it as, you know, almost like a warning check. If you're thinking like, oh, am I in, oh no, am, am I doing too much of this side? And so, oh no, am I in the danger of being choked out? My faith being choked out, right? Like we sometimes use it as that, to, as a barometer of like, am I good soil, am, am I here? And I think that can be good. But that's not the way most scholars think this text is intended. What if we're supposed to view ourselves as the only character in the parable, the sower? How does the parable change if we're supposed to be the sower? Because remember, Jesus is talking to a large group. But really, the middle section highlights this more, he's talking to his disciples. This is a parable he's directing at his disciples. So, if we are the sower, how does that change things? Well, it puts the action on us. We're the ones out spreading the seed, the Word of God. We're the one that's the central driving force of this story. And there's two interesting things about the sower that I want to highlight. First one, to notice they're putting seeds everywhere. It doesn't matter. They're, they're just throwing seeds at willy-nilly. Second one is they're not responsible for the growth. So talk about each of these real quick here. This way? Okay, no, not yet. All right, seeds everywhere. I weirdly fell down this rabbit hole of articles talking about this. Apparently, in the ancient Near East, around the first century, this was the common way sowing went. They found it was more both time efficient and weirdly enough, crop efficient to not sow individual seeds, to not 
painstakingly pick out land and rows and such, but to just scattershot everything. They found they ended up getting better crops, which to me makes no sense, and I've read a lot of articles arguing very different reasons why, but it, it, they got more crops, less time, if they just scattershot, if they didn't painstakingly sow row by row. So, if you want to spin that to us, what does that mean? Well, we don't get, shouldn't, decide who gets to hear the word and who doesn't. It's not up to us to say, is that good soil? Is that not? Is that soil worth my time? Because we don't know what kind of soil someone is. We're called to follow every opportunity given us. Every time we hear the Holy Spirit nudging us, talk to that person. Do this. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to judge, oh, God, I don't, I don't think that person's ready. I'm not, mm -mm, that's not for me. We're to follow every opportunity we're given. And now, there is a, a swing side to this. You're like, you don't have to make every other sentence talking about Jesus. That, that's probably not going to be very effective either. But it's a, it's a balance of listening to the Holy Spirit versus listening to yourself. Because more often than not, ourselves will be like, mm, we'll, we'll talk ourselves out of it. We'll, we'll find a reason why this might be not, not the right time. That person may be not the right place. But if you listen to the Holy Spirit, there will definitely be times when, we, when the Spirit tells us, not right now. But more often than not, it'll spur you. It'll tell you, yeah, this is an opportunity. I'm giving you on a golden platter. Go. Those about listening to every opportunity the Holy Spirit gives you. Because ground can become more or less fertile, become better or worse for planting. So something that we do right now might fall on not great ground. But it might be a little inkling, a little prepping for someone dropping a seed two to three years down the road that might make that ground a little better, a little better. It's all about a process. So, listen to Holy Spirit. So seeds whenever possible. The other side of this is we're not responsible for the growth. The sower is not the one who's responsible for the growth. That's someone else. It's a gardener. We're not the gardener. We're just throwing seeds out. I think a lot of times we feel responsible. We get this in our heart that like, I have to save that person. That person's soul is right here. If I don't talk to them, they're going to hell. We don't save anyone. We've never saved anyone. We never will save anyone. That is all God. That's all God. We do none of it. And once we realize that, it becomes so much more freeing. It becomes easier because there's no pressure on us. It's, we're not winning or losing. We're just listening to God and letting God do what God's going to do. The analogy I thought of for this one comes from one of the greatest movies of all time, The Sandlot. So if, if you've ever seen it, I'll show this quick clip. Think about in this clip, we're Smalls. We're the dork out in the outfield with a black eye. 
And weirdly enough, in the analogy, God is Benny. So, watch a clip, and you'll see what I mean. All right, so we see Smalls doesn't do anything. He just holds his glove up in the air. That's all he does. That's kind of like us. We're, it's not our job to do anything. We, we just hold our glove up in the air. We just follow where the spirit points us, and God does everything else. God's going to drop it right into our glove. It's not on us. And really, that was just an excuse to watch The Sandlot this week, because I love that movie, and I will fight anyone who says it's not a good movie. Um, but I do want to kind of caution this analogy to not stretch this analogy too far, the we're not responsible. As we saw with the second place where uh, seeds fell, if there's no follow-up, there's no discipleship, there's no that, that can cause seeds to fall astray too. So we, we are not ultimately responsible for someone's salvation, but we can help along. We can follow follow-up, discipleship, love, relationships, those kind of things. Just want to make sure we don't, because I, I don't, I, I can see where those two could, could get conflated. So I just want to make sure that's, that's not, those two should not be conflated there. So this section of Matthew, this parable, a lot of Old Testament, or New Testament scholars, Matthean scholars, scholars of Matthew, argue that this is really the heart of Matthew's message that this parable perfectly sums up the Gospel of Matthew as a whole. The Gospel of Matthew is the Gospel for everyone. And this parable is about the Word going out everywhere. Places it's probably not going to grow well. Places it might, and places it will. And over and over and over again. It's about seeds growing, becoming fruit, becoming grain, making new seeds, and those seeds going out everywhere, over and over and over again. And I love the idea, something like we think about, but I didn't really, really like think about it until this week of we talk about producing fruit. We think of that as, well, like, that's, that's good works, right? That's, that's reading your Bible, that's that. Yes and no, because like an apple here, the point of an apple is not to a tasty apple. The point of the apple is for those is for those seeds. That's the entire point of the, this plant is to make seeds to make more apple trees. And I love that analogy or that view of this parable. It's as you sow, the fruit is making more disciples. The fruit is continually spreading the word because of the seeds. What this entire parable started with was seeds being sown out. So we have to continue it to make more of those seeds to get thrown out again and again and again. And so this is our task. This is our challenge. If, if we're looking at this analogy, if we think we are the good soil, right? We look at those four soil types, we're like, yeah, I think I'm the good soil. Well, this time to shift and become the sower. It's our job now to go out and plant, to go out and sow, and work to grow new plants. Make more seeds. And some of the ways we can do that is in this entire out section of our chart here. Look at that. Those are three things that could point you to making more seeds, to making more harvest. Pray for people by name. Three people 
that you want to see come to Jesus. Pray for them by name. Pray for those opportunities. Moving up conversational gears. Looking for opportunities to have those conversations. Those people you're praying for. Be looking for opportunities that the Holy Spirit gives you to have those conversations, to enter into them. And then the parties. Opportunities to have those conversations, right? These three flow very well together. It's pray for those opportunities. Seize them when you see them and create environments where those opportunities can happen. Those can be great ways to work on becoming a sower. Work on spreading seeds. Work on growing a harvest that in turn produces more seeds and more and more. But that's our challenge. How can we move to becoming more like the sower?